If you're in the room, if you want to stand and worship with us, you are more than welcome. You don't have to. I'm not going to make you this morning. 
But if you want to, you're more than welcome. If you're joining us online, uh, don't be a spectator. Join in with us this morning. in you my God and there you give me rest you are my refuge and my safety my strength is in your name and though I stumble you won't let me fall you
Thank you. 
to read some scripture together out loud <laughs> do you not know have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Who was 
God, we stand amazed in your presence. We stand amazed, Lord, that, that you call us your kids. We stand amazed, Lord, that you look at us and you see people that are righteous. You see people that are holy. And God, we just, we join with the angels this morning and we just declare, Lord, that you are holy. God, you are so holy. You're worthy of all of our praise. You're so worthy, God. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all oh, we'll see how great. How great is our God. In age to age he stands. And time is in his hands. Beginning and the end. Beginning and the end. The Godhead, three in one, 
Father, Spirit, and Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And oh, we'll see how great, oh, how great. for singing how great is our God. What an awesome thing to declare together, you know, when we when we gather and we sing, uh, just like when we read the scripture, we're declaring things in unison, sometimes things to each other about our God and sometimes to God himself. And what a what an amazing thing to sit up front and, and be up front to hear you proclaim how great is our God. Cuz I think I think sometimes we forget how great he is. You know that song that Chad wrote the second to the last one talks about just the faithfulness of God, and he's, he was and is and forever will be. The song that we'll sing with the angels forever, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and forever will be. What a cool thing. Uh, what an amazing thing. Thank you for singing with us this morning and worshiping the Lord. Um, I do want to highlight, this is the begin of, beginning of, of what the church calls Holy Week. Uh, it is Palm Sunday. That is the day that Jesus rode in on the donkey's colt into Jerusalem, and everybody celebrated him, and then he rode into the temple, and he, he turned the tables over, and they began to realize that he wasn't here to uphold Judaism or their national dreams, but he was, up, he was here to pay the price for their sin, and uh, so by the end of the week, they don't like him, they hate him, and they kill him, 
Uh, the good news is that Jesus Christ cannot be kept in the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was raised from the dead, and next Sunday we'll celebrate that as Easter Sunday. So this week, some programming, a special programming for you. Uh, uh, Friday, Good Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, that is when the shofar was blown and the uh, atoning sacrificial lamb was, uh, was made for the nation of Israel in Jerusalem. And so that's when we gather on Good Friday. That is the time at which Jesus gave up his spirit and died. And so we get together for about 20 to 30 minutes and we sing some songs and we, we, we read some scripture and we just remember the death of Jesus Christ uh, and what he did on our behalf. So I encourage you to be here. If you are watching online, you're welcome. This will be a good chance for you to come in and get to know us a little bit. We will have communion that, that uh, afternoon, but it'll be a really special time together. And then next Sunday morning, uh, Chad uh, has put together a really special service for us, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're even going to have our kids in here next Sunday morning. Uh, infant, there'll be infant care, but any, everything else will be in this room, so we're going to pack this room out. I encourage you to be here early, and we're just going to have a wonderful time of celebration together next Sunday morning. So uh, that's, uh, that's this coming week. If you have any questions, you can check out our website. Or you can call the office and we're glad to answer any other questions. The only other announcement I want to make this morning is immediately following the service. Many of you have signed up your children for Camp His Way. And uh, that's coming up And right after the service over on this side of the room. I know that's different, but we have our communion over here. So over on this side of the room, there's going to be a short meeting for the parents of kids who have signed up for Camp His Way. So um, that is uh, all of our announcements. So today... We're going to finish our verse-by-verse -verse look at 1 Peter, Peter's first letter to believers who are, uh, if they're not under Nero's uh, kingship at this time, his persecuting kingship, it is coming. It's either Nero or his mother. Actually, what most people do not know is that Nero, that one you know about, that evil king, that Caesar, uh, he actually started his reign around 16. His mother put him on the throne, and he was wicked. He was her puppet king's son. And uh, as time goes on, he gets more and more wicked. You are aware that he burns Rome down and tries to blame it on believers. Uh, and as also, he's the one who started the Colosseums and feeding people, uh, some prisoners, as well as many followers of Jesus. He would feed to predatory animals at the, as the crowds uh, celebrated this event. Uh, we are not sure, as I've shared with you during our study of this letter, we do not know that during the first letter that this is happening yet. Uh, during the second letter, which we're going to, so we'll take an Easter break next week, and then we're going to jump right into to, uh, Peter's second letter. Uh, we do know that there's a, there's a short period of time between his first letter and his second letter, but persecution has begun, public persecution, governmental persecution of believers has actually happened during uh, before he writes his second letter. So that will be interesting as well. But I wanted to, one of the reasons why I find that interesting and why that history is so important to you is because it, it, it lies very much in the same place that we, many of us, feel today. Uh, it has been by people who study such things, and I have no idea how they do this, but they say that persecution is hotter on the church across the globe than it has ever been in the history of humanity. That followers of Jesus are more persecuted right now in places like Iran and China and uh, Russia than they've ever been persecuted before. Many of our brothers and sisters are in prison simply because of their faith. Others are being killed for their faith. And like I said, I don't know how they come up with those statistics, but I can certainly send them to you if you're interested. Operation uh, or uh, Voice of the Martyrs talks about this all the time. But even in the states where we have felt relatively secluded, you really feel a turning, a moral turning away from what this country has 
traditionally stood on. This country may not have been founded by Christians. I don't want to get into that debate. But it was founded by, on Judeo-Christian morality. That is absolutely true. And we, are, we have a country now that is turning away from that, turning towards uh, beyond accepting immoral decisions, but actually de demanding that we uh, support them and encourage them. And, uh, and uh, the problem is the Scriptures don't let us do that. And so there is a conflict coming. You feel it, I feel it, we know it's coming. And it's very much like what the believers were feeling. It had gotten so bad that they were beginning, and I believe, we believe that this is a response to communication that was given to Peter, this letter, the first one, where they are saying, we feel like exiles. And maybe you've been feeling that recently. What is going on in our country? What's going on in our world? I feel like I feel like we, this, this is not our world anymore. Well, that's exactly how they felt. And Peter's response to them in this letter was, you're right. You are exiles. And this, this letter was written to encourage them. But the problem is the truth isn't always fleshly encouraging. And he does endorse that thinking. It, it is this, you do stand against this. And he goes on in this letter. And, we, and I said, we're, like I said, we're at the end. So I, I want to kind of bring you up to speed. Peter explains to them why we are, why they are the different ones. The truth is, the world are not the freaks, we are. The world is depraved. The world is sliding into a deeper level of depravity because they have chosen to walk away from God. And if you read Romans chapter 1, you see a clear delineation of what happens when you don't worship God, when you don't acknowledge that there is, there is a source of authority that needs to be bowed to. And it goes on that list, and it goes down, and the judgment and I think the church misses this. The judgment isn't those sins. Those sins are the fruit of that. And the judgment is, against mankind, is not fire from heaven. It is depravity. It is, and I'm going to throw it out there. I, I, I've been clear on this before. Don't be, you shouldn't be surprised. But this whole transgender movement, this whole idea that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man when genetically they are one or the other. And, and then celebrating it. And then the result is, as we've taught, I've just kind of mentioned in recent weeks, where you have colleges having men and women's sports and they're being destroyed. The women who have worked so hard are being destroyed because they're competing against a man. And it's just depravity that people are defending that. And it's, it's kind of weird. It's not just happening in the States, though. It's happening in Ukraine. In, in Ukraine, uh, it is required that any man between the age of 20 and 60 fight. That's one of the laws in that country. Well, they have many transgender men trying to leave the country and they're turning them back saying, you are not a woman, go back and fight. It's happening all over the globe. It's happening all over the world because the world is seeping into depravity. And I want to remind you that the enemy of the church is not depravity. The enemy of the church is Lucifer. And it's not even really our enemy. It's the enemy of our father. Our job here, and he gets into this in 1 Peter, our job here as aliens and strangers, as exiles, as temporary aliens here, is to remember that our kingdom, our citizenship is in heaven. Our life, our good life, our best life is what's coming, not what is. And that we have been left here in the same way that Jesus was here before he died as the hot spot of God's presence on earth to live out those kingdom values. And you remember them because the Beatitudes contain them. You love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. You serve those who, treat, who mistreat you. 
things that are not in your flesh that make you just go, that's not justice. Well, we will have our justice in the day. But here we are to live out those kingdom values, to serve others and offer them an opportunity to meet the Lord. We now, with the Holy Spirit living within us, brothers and sisters, and, and, and just, just to pause here for a second, if you are not a child of God, these values don't apply to you. Nobody's asking you to live by these values. We're simply telling you that your values will self-destruct at some point. Look at the world around you. They don't work. They don't work. You, you can't have... Okay, I'm going to stop because I could go off on this. But it is a weird thing when you have Hollywood endorsing us adopting puppies but advocating for the death of children. And there's three states right now about to enact laws or vote on laws where children up to 28 months after birth could actually be killed. I mean, it's insanity. You know what? It's not insanity. It's depravity. It's worse than insanity. These are not crazy people. These are people with a value system. And we have to step back and we have to say, our job as Christians is not to tell people off. It's not to kill them. It's not to destroy them or go to war. Our job is to tell them that there's a better way. The Holy One of Israel, the King of Kings, loves them and sent their, His Son to die for them so that they can have a relationship with God. And it's hard because our flesh boils over that. And we've got we to gotta constrain it. And Peter talks about that. Peter talked. He, he specifically spoke to slaves. He said, even if your slave masters are unkind to you, serve as if to the Lord. Talked about women submitting to their husbands. Talked about husbands honoring their wives, even if they're not believers. Honoring and loving them and serving them. He, he went into all of these things, and, and I need to remind you again, I've already said it once, and I'm going to say it two or three more times. If you are not a child of God, if you have not accepted his offer to forgive your sin and adopt you into his family, bring you into his kingdom, you may hate these, but it doesn't matter because they're none of your business. I don't mean any disrespect by that, but these are values of kingdom people. These are values of the children of God, and we, children of God, got to get back to living them out. We've got to get back to understanding that God will win. And if you want a verse, I think 1 Peter 4.19, if you'll put it up there, man, this is, a, this is kind of a summary verse of what Peter is trying to say to believers by way of encouragement. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, whoa, we talked about this last week. That's just, what? Why would my suffering please God? Well, you have to ask yourself, did Jesus' suffering please God? And the answer is, of course, why would it please God? Because he's accomplishing a purpose in the world. Stephen's death, was that pleasing to God? Absolutely it pleased God because that was part of his plan for his life. We are kingdom people. We are here to serve the Lord, not ourselves. And one of the dangers of the church today is there, uh, there are preachers telling you that God's design now that you're saved is for you to be pleased you to serve your own ends, you to be wealthy, you to be whatever. And while wealth in itself is not evil and health is not evil and we should not seek out suffering, the truth is as a child of God imitating Christ's life and the values of heaven, they're going to treat us like they treated Jesus. It's just how it is. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what's right. Don't change, don't change as if you're the problem. And trust your lives, I love this, to the God who created you. Wow. 
Think about all the implications of that. That is such a powerful statement. The God who created you, that means he knows your idiosyncrasies. You may, be more, uh, you may be a more empathetic person. You may be more emotional. You may be more loving than some other believers. But God knows that as you serve him. You may be more cerebral. You may be more on the legalistic bend. I don't know. You know what I'm saying, right or left. Whatever you are, God created that in you. It's a beautiful thing. And that, uh, and he's saying, trust your lives to the God who created you. He will never fail you. Wow, he will never fail you. Think about that promise. He will never fail you. Yeah, well, I was diagnosed with cancer. Or my husband died or my wife died. He failed me there. Not if you understand that his plan is an eternal plan. You know, what happened that Passion Week, that first week when Jesus rode the colt into the temple area, when, when he died on the cross, is it not just our life was changed, but our eternity was changed. Our whole plan, our whole, our whole well-being. If we live here 110 years, which I doubt anybody in this room, the way East Texans eat, is going to live that long. You take, veg- you, you, you take vegetables and deep fry them. You realize by the time you're done, you should have had a French fry. <laughs> but it's true. We are not going to probably live to 110. Well, you know what? 110 day, years from the day you breathe your last on this side of eternity is just an instant in heaven. I mean, our, our, our future was changed. Our eternity was changed. And what Peter is saying, so if you suffer in a way that the Lord pleases the Lord, not because you've been a jerk or not because you, but because of God's, God's will, because you're serving him and it's happening, just Keep doing what you're doing. Trust your lives to God who made you. He's not going to fail you in the end. One of the teachings of Jesus was, let vengeance be mine. We've got to trust him, you guys. And I know that's difficult because um, I get asked a lot, so you just want our country to fall. I don't want anything but God's will to be done. And yes, I want to live lazy, dumb, and happy. The bigger the TV, the better. The faster the car, the better. You know, I, I love that. But that's not God. That's my flesh. Seriously. You know, I, I, we think about sin all the time. I think there's something more invasive in the heart of a believer. It's not sin, it's self. I want what I want, you know? And uh, so let, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into chapter 5 again and work our way through there. Father God, thank you for this morning, and I thank you for those that are watching online, those in this room. Lord, I know that there are some here who do not know you as their personal Savior, or their, their dad, their adoptive father. So today, may the day be the day of their salvation. For those, Father, of us who know you, who've been adopted, help us to understand a little more of what you expect of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week as we ended, so we turned the channel a couple weeks ago from 1 Peter 4 to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, and you know the chapters weren't written by the authors, but chapter 5 is the last chapter of 1 Peter. And he's going to teach us a thought that we're going to end today as we get through verse 11. But he started last week, and we took all of our time in the first four verses, and this is what it says. And now, a word to you who are elders in the church. I, too, am an elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ. So we want to pause there, because I, somebody made a comment last Sunday night in my Bible study that was very, very powerful. We have a group of young married couples, young families, uh, and somebody made the point that here you've got Peter writing this letter to the church in general, to, to believers, not a church, but just Christians in general. And then all of a sudden in front of them, he's encouraging them, be faithful, trust the Lord, uh, endure suffering, 
blah, blah, blah. Don't be the cause of your suffering. And he goes through all these instructions. And then all of a sudden, as he wraps up the letter, he turns his face away from the crowd and lets them watch as he instructs pastors. Now think about that. So there's two, what, what, what this person said, and I thought it was really powerful and something I hadn't thought about. And first of all, he wanted the congregation to understand what the pastor's responsibility was. He wanted them. It's a little bit like when you're leaving town for the weekend and you've got three kids and you look at your oldest and you say, as you're leaving, I love you, we'll be back Sunday. And you look at your oldest and you say, now don't be a jerk to your brother. And, and you said it in front of the other kids because you want them to know that you don't want them, you know, you know what I'm saying. That's what happens here. In front of the whole crowd, he gives instructions to the pastors or the elders, church leadership. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Now this is the part he wants the congregation to learn, everybody to hear, but especially the pastors. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you get out of it, but because you are eager, eager, eager to serve God. Boy, we could take weeks on that alone, right? From your experience with pastors, I'm with you. Seems like we're in it for ourselves a lot of times. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Boy, we could say amen to that too, right? And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of never-ending glory and honor. You read that, and that was last week's text again, and I'm going to take a few minutes on it because it leads into this week's text. But it, we read that, and most of us, and I forget sometimes I'm pastor. I know I don't act like it. Last week, though, I thought it was really nice. I looked like a pastor. This week, I wanted to look like a Harley salesman. And I've already had somebody tell me that I have brown boots on, so I'm not a Harley salesman. But I'm just trying to be all things to all people. Next week, I'll preach as a homeless man, I guess. So, But the, but the, fa the fact is, I don't know if you guys noticed too, did you see that somebody put a, a chalk outline of me on the floor? I don't have a feet, I don't have an arm, and I have a flat head. So it's not a good one. But uh, for those of you who are visiting, just, just ignore it. This is a threat if I... It's a weird church you stepped into this morning. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I'm with you. I forget sometimes that I'm a pastor, and I look at these famous guys, and I'm like, come on, you too? And whatever, you know? you got to be kidding me. Or something will be said, and it's like, why would you say that? And, and, I, and, I, and I just look at them, and I, I find myself discouraged. So when I read this, I go, yes, I love that. Come on, shepherds, be that. <clears throat> then on the other side, and this is not a political statement, so just please hear me out and take a breath. The idea of being a sheep or not being in leadership of your own life has become a negative thing. Having a pastor, having pastors or elders is one of God's blessings to you. And, and over this past few years, this is the part that is not political. There's been such a weird division in the church over vaccinated versus non-vaccinated people. I'm not going to do that because Biden's overseeing that. Trump's the one who invented the vaccine, I guess, and the internet. But uh, you, you, got, you got these weird things. And they actually, and, and, and our right-wing pundits often call, what do you want to be, a sheep? It's like an attitude, you know what I'm saying? In fact, those who took the vaccine were often called sheeple. 
Have you heard that term? Well, it's all over our culture. And the point is, stand up for yourself. Think clearly. You be you. You be the leader of your life. Where being a sheep has become kind of a pejorative for you're just weak-minded. You don't need any leadership. You don't need any authority. But I want to start what I'm going to read by reminding you that it was God's desire that you are given an elder. You are given shepherds. That's a gift to you. And I don't know why I'm one of those. I don't think I'm worthy of it either. But God raises people up to do his thing. And it is a gift to the church. And, and um, wow, let, most of the New Testament letters have something about pastors in it or leadership, how to react, how to respond to them, as well as their responsibility. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13 says this, as it wraps up, he tells the believers that are reading Hebrews, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who, who have done this have entertained angels without realizing. How weird is that? Won't it be weird to get to heaven and find out that a lot of people we came in contact with weren't even human? I know those of you visiting are going, these people are crazy. We're God crazy. That's, that's just, everybody's somebody's fool. Whose fool are you? I mean, this is cool stuff. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Now, I want to pause and say this isn't just criminals. We're talking about people who are arrested for their faith, people being persecuted. Remember them. Remember also those who are being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Now remember, he's wrapping up, whoever's writing this is wrapping up first, uh, Hebrews, this letter. Then he says this, verse 7, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the body of the animals were burned outside of the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his blood. So let us go, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace, the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. So it's basically he's repeating what Peter has said, who repeats what Paul said. I mean, these letters have this thing over and over again. But again, verse 15, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So I read all that and for those of you who have not visited Carpenter's Way, nobody is more self-deprecating than me. I confess my sin before this congregation. I am not a, a strong, authoritative guy, although I believe in strong leadership. That's why we have an elder council of seven men who together are equal at the tables. We, 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 together we make spiritual decisions. But this is as much Scripture as being saved. And, and brothers and sisters, we are constantly, <clears throat> how do I say this? If you are a child of God, 
1 John 1, 1.9 says, If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that means my past, present, and future sins are forgiven, right? So sin really isn't my problem. What my problem is, is living out my life trusting God and doing it His way as a result of trusting Him, right? And it is easy for us to hear a message on pornography or uh, sexuality, uh, all those things that we agree with. But these are in Scripture too, how we interact with our church leadership. And the problem is, it goes against, it's not such a big sin where like it stands out. It goes against our gut. It actually tells us to obey our spiritual leaders that their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Any spiritual leader that is worth following, and I want to say that because I got to tell you something. We got so many churches and so many leaders and so few shepherds. You know what I mean by that, right? We're talking about genuine shepherds. Uh, Let me tell you 2 Timothy 4. Louise, would you put that up there for us, please? Let me tell you what the job description of an elder is. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Why is that so important? The next verse. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome uh, teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. So elders, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. That is the instruction to a pastor. It's not instruction to a televangelist, to your favorite author, to your hymn writer. That is a responsibility of a shepherd of a flock. And I say that to say this. For those of you looking for a church, you better understand the object, the job description of a shepherd. Because if you don't understand it, you're going to look for things. <clears throat> Some of you in this culture want to feel guilty when you leave church. I don't know that I've been to church unless I'm convicted of my sin. Well, if your sin's been forgiven, you have to ask yourself why you're being convicted of something that's already been dealt with. On the other hand, I want a pastor that makes me feel good when I leave. Well, how is that not you looking for somebody who tells you what you already decided you need to hear? The truth is what you should look for is somebody who fits that job description, who understands it, who is preaching the Word of God, who corrects, rebukes, and encourages people through their good teaching, who says, follow my example, because that's the job of a shepherd. And last week we took the whole message to talk about how misunderstanding people are of the job of a pastor. I'll give you a classic example of somebody that we all love, Billy Graham. That dude was awesome but he wasn't a pastor. He was an evangelist. And if you decide that Billy Graham is going to be the one that teaches you everything about God's Word, you are lowering the value and the job description here. You never met Billy Graham, most of you. You will never meet Billy Graham. Well, now, except in heaven. he, He can't watch over your souls. That's what we studied last week. So you've got to raise the bar in what you look for as a shepherd. And that includes me. 
That's why we have seven of us, so that you've got six other men. When you come into membership at Carpenter's Way, you will meet with an elder to talk about your concerns about the church, where you come from, your, your relationship with God, how you got saved. And then at the end, the reason we do that, and I don't do that, and Jeff doesn't do that, the reason that we have you meet with somebody else is so when you get frustrated with me, you can go to an elder and say, is he out of line? And Or you should first come to me anyway. But that's, we're living this life. We have roles and responsibilities. And when we hear about pastors, it's so easy to go, yeah, where are those pastors? 1 Peter 5.5. 5. I, I know, Louise, I messed you up. Go back to 1 Peter 5.5. 5. So 1 Peter 5, 1-4, uh, I, we skipped. You need to go back to Scriptures. So she'll get it in a second because I want you to see that. There, that, that was it. That was it. So... We just heard last week's text, four verses on elders, on pastors, right? Do this, do this, do this. Love your flock. Be among them. Shepherd them. Be an example through your life. Good teaching. All these things that we have a tendency to go, yeah, preach it. Come on, Peter. I'm tired of pastors falling. I'm tired of fake preachers. Look at the next verse. In the same way, so while he picks out pastors and elders at the beginning while the congregation is listening he then turns the channel to the rest of the flock and he says in the same way you younger men must expect or younger men must accept the authority of elders this goes again look i want to i want to tell you something none of us want to be sheeple nobody wants to think they need under shepherds everybody wants and especially if you're if you're a protestant especially if you're not even a high church Protestant. We're kind of like, I don't really need it. And we don't even know why we go to church. Oh, I like the people. I need the encouragement. But you know, there's another reason. That's because you need shepherding. I hate saying it as much as you hate hearing it. Because I, I realize I'm standing up here doing that this morning. And it's really easy for you to go, well, it's easy for you to say, let me just be clear. Real genuine shepherding that involves, uh, the teaching is the fun part but the correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, that's hard. I love to encourage. I drive Steve Hicks nuts because I'm constantly saying thank you for your hard work. The staff, they're so bored of it, it doesn't mean it in anything anymore. But I love to encourage. It's in my nature. I love to find things. I, and if, you, if I spend time with you, I love to tell you stuff. I love to tell you what I appreciate about you. That's in me. I love preaching the Word of God. That's fun. It's fun for me to study. But correcting and rebuking is really, really hard because you know if somebody doesn't repent, they go out and lie about what you said. How do I know that? I've been doing this for 40 years. And if somebody's already living in sin and don't like the rebuke, they go home and tell them you, what you said and they only tell you the part that works for them. Are you following me? And i got to tell you something. The reason God gave you elders and shepherds, under shepherds, and if you don't know what that is, go back and listen to last week's message, is because you need it. You guys online who have decided not to go back to church, you need eldering. You need it. No, I don't. Yeah, apparently so. I mean, that's what the Scripture says. You can't pick and choose, right, family? And that's one of the things that I appreciate so much about this church. You have given me the privilege, and I know this sounds weird, but you've given me the privilege to go verse by verse through Scripture to teach what it says and not throw me out on my rear end because it doesn't fit the East Texas Bible Belt Mantra. You know how many things are different in the Word of God than we grew up with in the church? And this is one of them. 
I got to tell you something. There must be value in that. He tells, he tells us uh, in the same way younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And he goes on. Peter addresses the core problem now of the relationship between the under shepherds and God's flock within the next few verses. So even though I'm breaking it up into two Sundays, don't let your brain break it up. In other words, elders, love your flock, serve them, among them, be an example for life. Young men, young people, please understand Accept the authority of the elders. Why? Verse 5b, the very next section. Oh, you're getting good, Louise. It must be such a pain to do do this because I jump all over with the verses. And all of you, all of you, elders and young men and sheeple, I'm going to use that term because it makes me mad, dress yourselves in humility. A few years ago, you guys know this, a few, I don't remember... I keep forgetting where this was. I have a picture of it in my office. Somebody, I think it was at Carpenter's Way where they dressed me up as the biker on a Sunday morning. And uh, I've told you that the next week there were some people watching and we had a group of bikers because they thought we were a biker church. You know, what you put on communicates, doesn't it? We are a biker church, by the way. I'm just just kidding. We're a whatever church. We got cowboys and we got Indians and everything. (laughs) Dress yourselves in humility. Gosh, Julie and I, you know, the two biggest fights we ever had in our marriage, and we don't fight a lot because I'm perfect, but the two biggest fights we ever had was number one when we used to pick a live Christmas tree. We would go out there and I'd be like, big and tall, and she's going crooked. No, it's not crooked, Julie. We'll just put it, and then the last time I think we really fought about that, I literally had to put wire on the wall to make it straight. (laughs) So she was right. But the second thing is wrinkly clothes on Sunday morning. I mean, I'll, I'll, put about, I'll be dressed, I'll be leaving, she's just getting ready, and she'll be like, oh, that's wrinkled, let me iron. No, I'm not taking that shirt off so you can iron it. It's, uh, it's sin on her part that she wants to iron it. But you know, she's like, that communicates something. And uh, actually, there's somebody in this church who said that they keep coming to Carper's Way because their first week here, I was so wrinkly, they thought, oh, this is a church for me. I have no idea what that means, but, but the fact remains that what we wear is what people believe about us. What you post on internet is what you wear. What, what, what you, how you treat a waitress is, is what you're wearing. How you treat your pastors, your elders, is what you're wearing. Elders, pastors, carpenters, way elders, how we treat the flock, that's what we're wearing. And he goes on to here, again, like every other place in 1 Peter, which has been fun, he uses examples to teach a bigger lesson, and that's what he's teaching here. Dress yourselves in humility, put it on as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he'll lift you up to honor. Isn't that the thing that you think sometimes that some of you have actually said to me? I refuse to let this president fill in the blank. Or I refuse to let my ex fill in the blank. I refuse to allow a pastor to fill in the blank. And this actually addresses that. At the right time, God will lift you up to honor. So I should let people abuse me? No, you should understand your role in this life. You know, I think there'd be less divorce in the church if we understood that our job, and I'm not saying to stay with somebody who's abusing you physically, I always have to say that because I always get questions. But short of that, your ministry might be to an unsaved husband or wife. 
Your job with your demon-possessed kids is to love them through their demon possession and pray the devil out of them. And by the way, a strong-willed child, you know, you want your kid to be strong-willed in this world. Because if they're not, they're going to be wishy-washy and they're not going to understand the difference. So you who have very uh, respectful children need to get them fire in their belly. And those of you who have strong-willed children, thank the Lord for that. Teach them to hone that to God's will without destroying that strength. Everyone is needed in the society. Everyone is needed in the church. God made us. Some of us are hot and cold. That's a good thing. And I know as young children, if you have a strong-willed child, it's very discouraging. Just remember, God made that fire. And that, that was free right there, okay? That was free. That, that was not part of this morning's message. But in this text where he talks God, about uh, God opposing the proud and favoring the humble, he actually quotes Proverbs 3.34. God actually stands against the proud man or woman. Pride um, is like rust. At first, it, it, it's, it's just, oh, that's just Mark. And it looks a little red on the surface. But boy, if you don't root that out, it will eat away at the metal. And I think that's what we're seeing in the church today, you guys. I think we're seeing that through the years, we, were, we stood opposed to adultery and sexual immorality and things that were big, drugs and all that stuff, but we allowed the rust of pride, slandering in the name of prayer meetings. We allowed um, whatever, other sins that are acceptable in the church. We allowed jealousy to rage without it being rooted out. Those are the reasons we gather because sometimes you need somebody to say, I think you're blind to the big picture. I need that. You need that. And that's why we have elders. That's why we have flock. That's why elders have congregations. So together, we walk towards Jesus together. But sin is like rust. It just eats away. I think you can clearly make the case that pride is the foundation upon which all sin is built. Pride caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven because he wanted to share the throne with God. Pride caused Adam and Eve to be cast out of the garden because they wanted to share the throne of their life with God. Pride caused Cain to kill Abel because he wanted to offer the sacrifice he wanted to offer instead of the one God asked for. Pride kept the Jews from accepting their Messiah. Pride keeps us from being united in the church, loving and serving God's flock, submitting to its leadership, loving the flock as leaders, trusting each other, serving, loving, and forgiving. Pride is the reason we have affairs. Pride is the reason you look at porn. I deserve that. Pride is the reason that we end up divorced. I deserve a wife that makes me feel good. You only go around once. Pride is the reason we slander and mock each other. It is the root sin. And that's why it's addressed here. There's no room for pride in the body of Christ. And I, gotta, I, I want to say even more specific, there is no room for pride in your life. You know, I, the truth is, Julie and I have a really good marriage, okay? And, and uh, I don't know how, how much to share because I haven't really asked her permission on this. But we have said, and I think I've said it from the pulpit before, that we are better, be, we are better, uh, better best friends than we are lovers. You know, it's, it's not like uh, February 14th is the greatest day in Julian Mark's life. I, I love Sunday afternoons when we talk about God's Word together. I love Tuesday when she finishes studying for Wednesday morning about what she's going to teach at the women's Bible study. I love hearing what God is teaching her. I love it when she goes, I heard you say that. Man, I've been thinking about this. I love all that. We are such great partners, and I get to open her door when we go places and hold her hand. I get all that. But after 327 years of marriage, I do know it's 37 years. 36? 35? 
she is so wrong, you don't know if she's right or wrong. But after all this time, the truth is, what happened in our marriage was humility. Um, because you know this feeling, those of you who are in dating or married or, or, or have any kind of family, you know when somebody corrects you and you just don't want to be corrected? And you can feel it in your toes and it starts to creep up your ankles and you can, you're just about to unload? Something happened a few years ago, and I don't need to get into all the details, where we began to realize, what are we fighting over? Your job is to help me think clearly, and my job is to help you think. So now when that starts, it's like, just give me a minute. Take a breath. Step out of the room. By the way, that verse, there's one verse in the Bible I don't think is inspired. One. And that is, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Sometimes the best thing to do is let the sun go down on your wrath and wait till the morning. Just kidding. But the truth is, the truth is that somewhere along the line, we stopped going, and right in the middle of it, one of us would go, you're right. You're right. What you said is true. Now, I don't like how you're saying it, and it hurts, but I'm sorry, and you're right. And what's happened is we don't really fight that much anymore. Do we take shots? Sometimes, yeah, but it doesn't turn into a fight. You know the difference? <laughs> you're laughing. She is so hard to live with, I'm telling you guys. <laughs> what makes you think it's me? Stop it. But the truth is, the truth is that something, something wonder ha wonderful happens when God humbles you. Some of you have been through AA. Some of the strongest believers I've ever met in my life are people who've been through AA. You know why? They have no pride left. And they, they fight hard to never forget who they really are. People show me a 10-year coin or a 5-year coin or a 6-month coin. Don't you ever stop being proud of the coin instead of who you are, because the minute you think you can drink a beer, you're going to fall. And it's the same with us with sin, isn't it? With pride. It, 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 humility, God wants us to be humble. Boy, that's the ultimate character of the kingdom, isn't it? Humbly serving each other. Young men, humbly uh, uh, you know, submitting to the authority of elders. Uh, elders, humbly serving the flock, loving the flock, living among the flock. You see how they work together? Last week I preached on elders. This week we're talking about humbly the young men. But the truth is they work together and it only works if we work together. Verse 6 of 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, and I love this, under the mighty power of God. And at the right time He'll lift you up to honor. Well, I want to be honored today. But if I trust the Lord, He knows when He's going to honor me. And it may be 30 seconds after death. It might be 30 seconds after the fight. It might be 30 seconds after pride. But in due time, when he decides, he's going to lift me up. I, I hope you're seeing this, that this isn't about doctrine. It's a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. It's a relationship with the Trinity, the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Jesus who died for us and removed our sin and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Father who's over superintending this whole thing. It's a relationship with them, all based on their work. All based on his work. It's all about that. And it comes down to, as I said a few minutes ago, I don't think the struggle for Christians is really sin anymore because that's been removed by the power of God. The struggle with the Christian is whether or not we trust God. And I think for about 60% of the time, truthfully, and I'll speak for myself, the answer is no, not as much as I should. Like, I trust Him here, but this thing's really a struggle. I've got to push the people to do this. I've got to get that. Well, maybe you're not supposed to push people. Maybe you're supposed to trust me. I don't want to trust you. You take too long. You're giggling because you know that's what you feel. But at right time, he's going to lift us up and he's going to honor us. That humble yourself again and entrusting your future and pride 
and your life to God. Oh. The only antidote for pride is to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, to let Him do with our lives as He wishes, knowing that at the proper time, He will lift us up and make things right. This is one of the reasons why we put communion over here at the end. Because I, Mark's opinion, I think sometimes walking an aisle is easy, you know, and just, just, I think it's time for us to get on our knees again in our quiet bedrooms and pray. I I don't do that enough. I've, I've started to about a year and a half ago, more, where I literally get on my knees with the Lord, and I'm not proud, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that that posture reminds me that He's the King and I'm allowed in His presence, and that I will submit to Him. And I take my request to Him, but I'm entrusting myself to Him. You see, this is not about religion. This is about God. And I think we struggle, even as we get older in the faith, we struggle with believing in Him. Like that dad, again, and I just I keep bringing this up because it's so clear, whose daughter is dying, and Jesus says, do you have faith? And He goes, oh, I believe in you. I know you can heal my daughter. Would you help me with my unbelief? <laughs> Isn't that where we live? I think that's the struggle of the Christian life. Trusting God with our pastors. Trusting as a pastor, trusting our God with our flocks. Trusting God with the persecution, with what's going around us. And by the way, you're about to get my Palm Sunday message. You ready? Palm Sunday was an awesome day. It was prophesied in the book of Daniel that Jesus would, that God's son would be allowed or entered into Jerusalem and would be hailed, that he would present himself as the king. It's a wonderful day but it's also a very tragic day because all those people, and I do want to say almost all, I mean, great majority of those people who said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are king's sent one. As they threw their palm branches down, three days later, they would say, crucify him. We have no God but Caesar. How could they turn so quickly from worshiping the son of God to wanting him killed? He didn't meet their expectations. They wanted nationalism. Does that sound familiar? They wanted wanted their comfort. They wanted their kingdom to reign. They wanted their world. They wanted Judaism to be the way. And Jesus came to build a new temple. He came to resurrect so you didn't have to keep the laws. Instead, you could trust Him to take sin from you where the veil in the temple would be ripped in two. And even though it was a better offer, they wanted what they wanted. So Palm Sunday, while being an amazing day, is also a tragic day because it's the one day everybody said, hey, we're all going to follow Jesus, right up until he starts turning tables over in the temple area, saying, you have turned my temple into my father's house into a den of thieves. And they begin to question his authority to do that. And two days later, they're like, we have no king but the Roman king? Are you kidding me? Do you realize what a dramatic, foolish decision that is? So why are we doing it? Why is the church in this country doing it? Why do we say, I refuse to believe in a God who, and whatever that thing is after that, can be found in Scripture, but we don't like that God, so we choose not to worship. Can can I be clear on God for a second? And for those of you who don't know me and Jesus, you're just going to have to bear with what I'm going to say. But for the rest of you, you know me, so I'm going to make an outrageous statement. If Yahweh was arbitrary and unloving, and unkind. He's still God. I mean, just let that sink in. 
It's not like we're all going around going, I'm going to find the greatest God ever, the most loving, merciful God, and I'm going to choose that God. Well, how are you any different than the Hebrews at the base of Mount Sinai who make a God out of a, a golden calf out of earrings? If I had one message I could preach to the church in this country, it's you really don't get to decide who God is. He's real. He's alive. He created all this. And I would advise you to bow. And by the way, He's better than you could ever possibly imagine. More merciful and gracious and loving. But even if He wasn't, He's still God. And He still deserves to be bowed to. Because somewhere along the line, even within the church, we decided through apologetics that the only reason we worship Him is because He's a better idea than everybody else. And I want you to know, even if He wasn't, He's still the only real God. So bow the knee. And by the way, get into the Word of God so you know who He really is. Because I'm going to tell you that if you study this book in context, He is better than even your wildest, crazy dreams for God. He is gracious and merciful. He doesn't break His promises. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It says in Isaiah that He wrote the name of your name in the blood on His hands. He cares for you. He will, he will comfort you. He will give you hope even in trial, tribulation, and death. And when it's over, we go home. Okay, weird thought. Ready? Another weird thought that's going on in Mark's head. I don't like to make heaven about me, but Jesus sort of did when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, Mark. Some of you are going, I don't remember the verse where it said Mark. He said to believers, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He didn't say, I'm going to prepare a place for me that you get to hang out in, which is what TBN seems to promote. I'm telling you, as I've always said, if it turns out that it's all gold, purple, and Hard floors, oh my gosh, with hard pews, I am going to be one disappointed saint. I, I'll swear I'll think I'm in hell. It's home. It's shoes off, socks off, running the gold streets on a sunny afternoon. It's heaven. For those of you who like to fish, you can't even imagine how big the bass are in that crystal river. How is that for context? It's just so true, you guys. The food, I'm not a lamb guy. If you have to put some sort of weird jelly on top of meat, it, it just shouldn't be eaten. But I have been told that the, ham so or the lamb sausage in heaven is unbelievable. And that has nothing even to do yet with what God's going to do. He's going to sit you down on the throne and it says He's going to give you a name that only you and He know. How can a billion of us be there and be so personal? I don't know, but that's our God. And if we can trust Him with our next, we can trust Him with our now. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that I think that the church, we the church, has let the world so invade our thinking that we have forgotten that this has nothing to do with the world. And by the way, with all due respect, you notice that we don't have an American flag on the stage. That is not an accident. This is an embassy for the kingdom of heaven, and there's not a place for an American flag on this stage. You can be Russian. You can be Ukrainian. You can be socialist. You can be whatever... But if you have accepted God's offer to be his child, then you can be an illegal alien and worship in this place. Because this is an America. This is the place that God owns through his people to talk about God. And he ain't American. I would argue he's not even Jewish. I, I know Jesus was and is, but remember the whole Gideon thing? Where the angel of the Lord stood before him and he said, are you with us or our enemies? And the Lord said, neither. 
So if God isn't on Israel's side, he's not on our side. The question is, are we on his? And he tells us here to humble ourselves. Big finish. Ready? Verse 8. Stay alert. I know, Louise, I got you all messed up here. There it is. When the Bible says stay alert, the Greek for that is stay alert. It's very powerful. (laughs) Gary, am I even close? I'm just kidding. It means wake up. It doesn't mean listen up. That's truly, truly, verily, verily. It means stay alert. Look around. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Wow. So I'm, I'm a, those of you who have been with us in this study, I just want to say, I don't know if Christians are being fed to lions at this point or not, but this is the second time in this book he's used an example that is awfully close to home. Remember the first one was a few weeks ago when he says fiery trials are coming? We don't know if Nero's burned Rome down or not, but that's awfully close to, wow, prophecy. And here he said, watch out for your great enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You think the Christians were worried about being thrown to the lions? If they aren't, after this is written, they got to be going, how did Peter know? What a vivid illustration for them. Next verse. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. All right, big finish here. I only only have a short time, so let me hit this quick. Number one, in our culture today, we have two problems with Satan and the demonic. Number one is we pretend, since we don't deal with it every day, we pretend it's not there or we act like it's not there. This is the opposite of that. This says you be alert. You understand that this is a chess game and your enemy is very good at playing chess. The other side is we got Christians all over the place that are speaking the devil. How dare you? I'm going to kick the devil's butt. Take this. It's a TikTok thing. Kicking Satan. Kicking Satan. Kicking. Do you realize? Do you realize how powerful that, that angel is? I mean, I just wanted one of those TikTok videos, I want Satan to show up, just to see what that would look like. I mean, just to remind you, uh, let's see, Jude 9. I'm killing you, Louise. Stick with me here. Jude 9. Even Michael the archangel, okay? This is what it said about Satan. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, didn't dare accuse the devil of blasphemy. But he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took uh, place when Michael was arguing with the devil over Moses' body, okay? And I want you to know that I know all about that, but I'm not going to tell you. I have no idea why why two angels are fighting over a dead guy's body. That is weird, isn't it? You can read books on it, but nobody really knows. But the most important stuff isn't that. It's that even the mightiest angel of heaven didn't dare take Lucifer on. He said, the Lord rebuke you. So when you hear Christians and Christian videos and everything else going, we're going to kick Satan's butt. You've got to go, whoa. You're not taking this battle very seriously. This is a force that, 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 that deserves respect. There is a spiritual battle going on out there. And, and why do I say that? Okay, I'm going to jump back to James, Louise, one verse ahead. This is the instructions on how to deal with the devil, Christian. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
So how am I supposed to take on, if I'm, if I'm to watch, if I'm to be alert, how then do I, uh, do I take the devil on? Resist him. In other words, when he comes here, you go, thank you, no. You open the Scriptures. You resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You don't give him the time of day. You don't let him distract. Remember, he just wants your attention. He knows he's not going to get your worship. Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So if you're saved, you have two offensive weapons against the forces of evil. Number one is the Word of God. Are you in the Word of God? And look, that doesn't mean you have to sit down two hours a day and study the Scripture. When you're driving, put it on the radio. Play it on your phone. There are audio programs. Just fill your, fill your mind with God's Word. The second thing is prayer. God's Word and prayer. How's your prayer life? Are you taking this seriously? Watch out, the devil's around. Well, how do I do that? I pray. When I get mad at, when I'm watching Fox News and I, I get mad at Biden, do I pray for him? I pray he dies. Do you pray for him? When you watch Trump talk again, do you pray for him? I hope he has a heart attack. Pray for him. He needs Jesus. hundred years from now, it's not going to matter if Biden was a donkey or an elephant. All that's going to matter is if they knew Jesus. Because we know Jesus and we're going home. Our future is secured. But we are surrounded by people. Men and women. Men who think they're women. Women who think they're men. People of same-sex attraction. And they are going to hell. And a thousand years from now, we are the only thing that offers hope through Jesus Christ to help them. Why are we mad at them? Well, because they're infringing on my right to see men as men and women as women. This is not your world. We are the freaks. We are the aliens. We are the strangers. And yes, depravity is fast and furious today. That is Satan's plan. And instead of going, these people are mentally, they are so screwed up, instead of getting mad at them, you understand that Satan is playing a chess game. And they will lose. Please understand that we are here to be the temple of God's presence here on the earth. We are the hot spot of His presence. We are not here to make this place moral. We are here to tell immoral people that there is a God who will declare them right with Himself. And then He'll begin to transform them. And, and I know most of you believe that. I know, you, And it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to stay in that, in that mental state. And that's why He says, watch out. That's why you got to stay in the Word. That's why you got to pray. Before you do anything, before you post on Facebook, pray. Dear Lord, I'm about to write that the pastor wore a Harley shirt this morning, so the whole world knows that's disrespecting God's throne. Thank you for the words you're going to give me. You idiot. I say that because it's a Greek word, idioi, which means not to pray enough before you post. And by the way, there will be somebody who does that. I will get an email but I did it just to make you mad. <laughs> Stay alert, verse 8 and 9. Watch out for your great enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking to someone to devour. Stand firm and be strong in your faith. Your faith. Your trust in God. Satan, you are making me want to do that right now. But I would rather have this feeling of wanting to do it and not doing it and trusting myself to God than giving it ever again. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering. We're not alone. It isn't unique. 
God's still on his throne. And in the end, we'll win because he wins on our behalf. 10 and 11, 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. In his kindness, God has called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered for a little while, that's where we are. He's going to restore. He's going to support. He's going to strengthen you. And he will place you on the firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. All power to him forever. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Thank you that you have solved the puzzle. Thank you that you made the puzzle. Thank you that you made the pieces. And thank you that even though there is somebody who's trying to to mess it all up, we can trust in you. And we will trust in you. Help us trust in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you'd like to have communion, you can come over here and just take a moment with the Lord. Don't be afraid to do that. If you are a parent of a kid going to camp, you'll meet over here in about 10 minutes. Bible study is going to start in about five. God bless you. See you Friday.